0: and thank you for listening or watching True Crime Cam. This week, I want to talk about a recent case. 56-year-old Troy Michael Matennis is accused of fatally stabbing and dismembering his mother, and this allegedly occurred in June of last year. Police didn't find out about this alleged murder until June of this year, a year later. But before I get into all of that, I wanted to go through Troy's very lengthy criminal history. So, let's go through everything he's been charged slash convicted of previously and then we'll go through the criminal complaint and what the prosecutors are alleging. And this is just his criminal history that I could find through the Minnesota courts. So if he's done anything in other states, I did not look into that. So on October 3rd, 1992, Troy was arrested for domestic assault in the fifth degree and one count of obstructing the legal process. The assault charge was amended to disorderly conduct and the second charge was dismissed. The following month, Troy was convicted of disorderly conduct, sentenced to seven days in jail, and fined $100. He also represented himself for that case. Fast forward to February of 2011, a woman petitioned the court to have Troy Matennis committed to a mental hospital for 60 to 90 days. I'm not sure what this woman's relationship was to Troy, but I don't think they were related or married because they don't share the same last name. And that petition was filed in the Hennepin Probate Mental Health Court. Their website states that the mental health court handles the legal process involving the civil commitment of people to treatment centers based on allegations of mental illness, developmental disability, chemical dependency, and referrals from criminal court. This case is specified as a mentally ill person's case, which is for persons that are mentally ill, and as a result pose a danger to themselves or others. So, this woman, the petitioner, was asking the court to place Troy involuntarily under the care and supervision of a hospital or regional treatment center because of his alleged mental illness. A warrant for his involuntary commitment was granted on February 24th and he stayed there, I believe, for 60 to 90 days. And I have no idea why he was committed because you only have access to documents posted 2015 and later. So, because this happened in 2011, the documents are not on the website. If they would even be available for the public. I'm not really sure. Either way, knowing what we know now, that is alleged, it was probably a good call to commit him. Fast forward to September of 2017. Troy was given a citation for going 79 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour zone. He was convicted of a petty misdemeanor and fined over $200. In January of 2018, he was convicted of another petty misdemeanor for, again, going 20 plus miles per hour over the speed limit and fined $150. Okay, now we're at 2019 and this is the year Troy Matinus really starts racking up the criminal charges. In May of 2019, he was convicted of a petty misdemeanor for speeding in a construction zone and fined $100. In July, he was pulled over for going 81 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour speed zone and convicted of his fourth petty misdemeanor, fined $278. So, most of his charges and convictions were speeding tickets when he's going way over the speed limit, but this is where it gets weird. And before i go into this next charge against troy matennis i need to tell this story so i was scrolling on tiktok the other day and this girl popped up and she wanted to tell a story about her interaction with troy so i'm just gonna roll the tiktok for y'all
1: so i have an insane story time and i mean insane and i honestly don't know how to process this like at all Um, i'm definitely still in shock so let me know if anyone has any tips so for the last, like, two and a half years, I've worked at a tanning salon, and oftentimes our customers will talk to us for a while, so we get pretty close with them, especially when it's slow, like, during the summer, some people will come in talk to us for, like, 30, 45 minutes if there's just nothing going on, and I had this regular customer named Troy. He was so nice when he came in, he would always bring me, like, a bottle of water when he would come in, but it was honestly, like, you would see his car pull up, and it's like, oh, I have to talk to Troy again, like... <laughs> So I've spent like hours talking to this man. Well, last year on June 5th, um, he comes in while I was working, talked to me for like 30 minutes about his plans for the week, whatever else. And then before he left, he stole my phone. Like he actually stole my phone from the salon. And we don't have him on camera taking the phone, but he was the only one that went into the room that my phone was in. And he was the only one in the salon at the time. So he stole my phone. Ended up tracking it to like 10 miles down the road where it looked like this. Here's the back. Here's a combo with me and the officer. He suggested that I sue him through civil court, which I didn't do. So we were all just like shocked. It's just a nice, normal guy, whatever. Stole my phone. Looked it up and found out he already had misdemeanors and felonies for theft. <laughs> so then he started coming at me on Facebook. I have pages of this. Like the next week he submitted a customer care complaining about me, but I wasn't lying. He stole it Okay, now. This is the shocking part. So that happened on June 5th. Um, I just found out that three days prior on June 2nd he his own mom and Here's my receipts So I just, like, cannot stop thinking about it, I'm just freaking out, um, like, I fully know this man, I've spent hours talking to him, like, look at this, my parents own a dental lab, I even consulted with them on his teeth in January, like, he's been tanning at the salon since before I started working there, and he was my first, like, regular, like, I'm just so, like, scared because I close my eyes and I can see his face and I can hear his voice and, like, it's just so scary because I've only had, before he stole my phone, I've only had, like, normal conversations with him, like, no red flags. It's just, like, who else? You never know, man. Stay safe out there, guys.
0: So I saw that TikTok and I was like, oh, I should make a video about this case because I remember hearing about it originally when it came out that he was arrested for the murder of his mother, but it kind of just flew by me. Um, So when I saw that, I was like, wow, I really need to talk about this because that is crazy. Um, The fact that he just was having completely normal interactions with her and then one day just decided to steal her phone and throw it out the window and completely ruin it and then start harassing her is just super weird. And he did that just days after allegedly killing and dismembering his mother. So, I was looking through the comments of this uh, girl's video and someone commented, Girl, I work at $5 and he stole my wallet in 2019. I'm one of those charges pressed against him. And then she asked if she worked at a specific location. So that is in reference to the next charge against Troy that I'm going to talk about. By the way, $5 tan is another tanning salon in Minnesota, and I have the details of the case pulled up, so let's get into that. So, this complaint was filed on November 19th, 2019 in the state of Minnesota in the county of Dakota. It starts out by saying on August 31st, 2019 at approximately 3.34 p.m., Officer Mott was dispatched to contact AAR, the victim of fraud having occurred at Speedway, located at Blah 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 in Burnsville, Dakota County, Minnesota. And the initials of this person matched the person who commented on the other girl's TikTok, so I think she was telling the truth, and I'm just going to refer to her as Ashley. Ashley reported that on August 31st, 2019, at approximately 7.45am, she arrived at her workplace, 5 dollars Tan, located in Burnsville, and placed her purse in the back office area. At approximately 1.45 p.m., Ashley realized her Michael Kors wristlet wallet, valued at $118, was missing from her purse. Ashley reported that her wallet contained her Visa credit card, Minnesota driver's license, $120 to $130 in cash, and miscellaneous cards. Upon realizing her wallet was missing, Ashley contacted her bank and learned that her credit card had been used without her permission at Speedway, located in Burnsville. The amount of the unauthorized charge was $29.87. Ashley went to the Speedway and obtained a copy of the receipt for the fraudulent credit card transaction. The receipt indicated a pay at the pump sale from pump number six and a car wash purchase. Ashley then provided Officer Mott with a customer activity report from the 5 dollars Tan establishment. It revealed that 12 customers checking in between 8.39 and 10.40 a.m. that morning. Ashley was confident her wallet was in her purse upon arriving at work, and believed a customer must have taken it. Ashley reported there were no non-customers in the business while she was working. On September 1st, 2019, Officer Mott responded to Speedway and reviewed the surveillance video for the time in question. Officer Mott observed a dark-colored Chevrolet Equinox drive up to the pump number six at approximately 1056 AM on August 31st, 2019. Officer Mott was unable to clearly see the license plate but observed a tall white male wearing a blue short sleeve shirt, dark three-quarter length pants, and flip-flop type sandals. The male suspect had blonde, light-colored hair, and was balding on the top of the head. The male suspect proceeded to pump gas and eventually walked into the store. Store surveillance video shows the same male in clear view, wearing the aforementioned clothing. The male exits the store and gets back into the dark-colored Chevrolet Equinox. So when the officer is reviewing the gas station's camera, he finally gets a Minnesota license plate number, DGS-608. A check of the license plate revealed the vehicle was registered to Troy Michael Mattenis. Date of birth, 0308, 1967. So, Officer Mott then reviews the customer activity report of $5 tan, and he observes that Troy Matennis checked into the business on August 31, 2019 at 10.26 a.m. He reviews the surveillance video and sees Troy exiting the tanning bed area at approximately 10.46 a.m. He then exits the store at approximately 10.47 a.m. And Troy is also wearing the same clothing that he was wearing at the speedway. On September 1st, 2019, officers go to Troy's address and they see the same vehicle parked in his driveway that was seen pumping gas and getting the car wash. So, the officers knock on the door and Troy answers the door in the same clothes he was wearing the day before that he was seen wearing on the surveillance video at Speedway and $5.00. Officer Mott asked the defendant if he knew why officers were at his residence, to which he responded, no. Officer Mott showed the defendant a copy of the gasoline and car wash receipt from Speedway, to which the defendant responded, I put gas in my car. When asked how he paid for the gas, the defendant responded, with my debit card. The defendant continued to deny any knowledge of the fraudulent purchase or theft. Officer Mott explained to the defendant that lying about what he did would do no good. The defendant eventually said, You're right, you're right, because I found that debit card at $5.10, so I did do it, admitting to making the fraudulent purchase with the stolen debit card. After saying he found the debit card on the floor, the defendant admitted to going in the back employee room to get a Kleenex where he quote-unquote found the debit card. The defendant eventually admitted to taking the small wallet out of a purse which wasn't in the employee area. The defendant explained that after conducting the fraudulent purchase he threw the wallet and its contents into the garbage at the Speedway gas pump. Officer Mott then asked the defendant about the cash that was in the wallet. After again being deceitful the defendant admitted to taking cash out of the wallet but did not know how much was there. The defendant proceeded to explain that he was a bad liar. Officer Mott read Troy his Miranda warning and asked him to provide a statement to which he agreed. Troy admitted to stealing the wallet and its contents from $5 tan. Troy admitted to completing the fraudulent purchase at Speedway and having $60 of the stolen cash in his wallet. He stated he purchased bottled water and cereal with the stolen money. Troy returned to his residence for his wallet and took $60 out, handing it to Officer Mott saying, I shouldn't have done it and I feel bad. So, the officers go back to the speedway and are digging through all of the trash to locate this Michael Kors wallet. And after doing that for a long period of time, they don't find any of the the wallet or any money or anything like that. So, they go back to Troy's house. They explain to him that they didn't find anything in the trash like he said it would be. And Officer Mott writes, that Troy began getting nervous, biting his fingers, but continued to say he threw the items in the garbage at Speedway. And at that time, another officer, Officer Larson, observed a white and tan Michael Kors wallet on the backseat floor area of Troy's vehicle in plain view. So, they just took a little peek in his vehicle and the Michael Kors wallet was right there. So, the officers inform him that there's a wallet in his car in plain view and... Troy asks, what wallet? Troy then went inside the residence to retrieve the keys to his vehicle, opened the door, and handed the wallet to Officer Larson. Troy stated the wallet belongs to his cousin, and again stated he threw the stolen purse in the garbage. The defendant eventually admitted the wallet in his vehicle was, in fact, the stolen wallet. After further questioning about the items still missing, the defendant retrieved Ashley's Minnesota driver's license and a rewards card from the front passenger door of his vehicle. So, he had taken this woman's driver's license out and stored it in another part of his vehicle for some reason. Troy then gave officers consent to search his vehicle for any additional stolen items. Troy reported he threw the rest of the contents out the window after purchasing the gasoline and other items at Walmart. That statement threw the rest of the contents out the window to conceal his crime. Keep that in mind for later on. So, officers located seven individual gallon bottles of water and a small bottled water that the defendant admitted to purchasing with the money he stole from Ashley's wallet. So, prosecutors charged Troy with two counts. The first count is financial transaction card fraud, which is a gross misdemeanor. And they also charged him with theft, a misdemeanor. The maximum penalty for that would have been a year and 90 days in jail plus a $4,000 fine. However, the first count was dismissed, so Troy was only convicted for theft. In June of the following year, in 2020, he was sentenced to 90 days in jail, ordered to pay a $50 fine, $130 in restitution, and sentenced to 25 hours of community service. He was also banned from $5 tan. So, this next indictment occurred in June of 2021. This is the Statement of Probable Cause, which was filed on June 11th, 2021. On March 11th, 2021, Burnsville police took a report of a theft that had occurred in the city of Burnsville, Dakota County. The victim reported that she had mailed six moneygrams with a total value of $1,156.98 on January 2nd, 2021, by dropping them into a mailbox at the Burnsville Post Office. None of them had made it to their intended destination. The victim followed up with MoneyGram and was advised that one of the MoneyGrams was cashed at Wings FCU on January 2, 2021. It had been made out payable to Troy Matennis. She was still trying to get information about the others. Officers then obtained a warrant for the Wings FCU account that the check was deposited into and found that the account belonged to Troy Michael Matennis, Officers observed that all six of the initial victim's money grams had been deposited into the account. The stolen money orders had been mobile deposited into the account. So, officers obtained the IP address of that device and it traced back to Troy Matinus' house. And the officer also took note that seven additional money orders had been deposited into that account after the initial victim's money orders were deposited. So, the officer suspected that there might be more victims. In April of 2021, the officer was able to identify a second victim who had money orders that had been stolen out of the mail, forged, and cashed into Matinus' account. The total of these three additional money orders was $270.66. The officer spoke with a postal inspector who reported that there had been a number of reports of mail having been tampered with. In several cases, checks had been removed from mail that had been deposited, In some cases, notes had been added to the envelopes with obscene language added. The Burnsville office found six additional victims that had their mail tampered with after depositing it into a postal drop box, which is a huge felony to F with mail, by the way. So, on June 9th, officers went to Matinis' address and he was placed into custody. His ass was arrested. He was read Miranda and agreed to speak with officers. Officers explained the case and the stolen money orders. Matennis initially admitted he had deposited the money orders into his account, but claimed he had found all of them, like he found the wallet in 2019. He eventually admitted he had been stealing mail out of the blue post office drop boxes outside of the Burnsville post office. He stated he had been able to reach in and grab mail as the boxes were full. He took the money orders and changed them to be payable to himself. He also admitted he had changed the name of the purchaser on several of them. Matenis was asked about the tampered mail with the missing checks and added notes with foul language. He admitted he had opened quite a few and ripped up checks and added handwritten messages and put them back into the mail. Like, why would someone do that? Why would he do that? What is the point? He would just rip up someone's check, not even cash it, not even steal it, and just write obscene language to that person, I guess. Troy estimated he had done this with at least 40 different pieces of mail. So if you're in Burnsville, Minnesota, and you use that post office and someone fucked with your mail, I think I know who did it. Matennis admitted he knew removing the checks and ripping them up would mess up people's lives. Oh my god, what a freak. He also admitted he may have taken mail from the Apple Valley Post Office in April. Also, Apple Valley Post Office mailers, if your mail was fucked with, it was this guy. It was this guy for sure allegedly. So, eventually, the charge of mail theft was dismissed, but Troy was convicted of theft, aggregating over $1,000 up to $5,000. He was officially sentenced on June 30th, 2021. Defendant is sentenced to three days in the Dakota County Jail. Defendant is to serve three days. Credit for time served amount is three days. Wow, three days in jail for... Digging through people's mail and stealing all that shit? Wow, that's crazy. Troy was also placed on supervised probation for three years, monitored by Dakota County Community Corrections. He had to pay a $130 fine, and he was also ordered to pay restitution to the victims. I know he paid a little less than half of it. At some point, I'm not sure if he paid the rest of it. He probably didn't. So, now we're gonna fast forward two years later to June of 2023 and this is when police find out about this alleged murder and I'm just going to read and I'm just going to read you all the statement of probable cause this was filed on June 10th 2023 so it says in late June 2023 Burnsville police investigated reports of mail theft allegedly committed by Troy Michael Matennis In the course of the investigation, police learned some proceeds from the mail thefts were deposited into an account belonging to Sandra Viola Matinus, date of birth, 11-22-39, who was Troy Matinus' mother. Police asked Troy about his mother's whereabouts so they could question her about the deposits and do her account. Initially, Troy told police that his mother was in Milbank, South Dakota. He subsequently told police that Sandra had died on June 14, 2022. During the execution of a search warrant of Troy's home related to the mail theft investigation, police located an obituary for Sandra indicating she died on June 14, 2022. Police found an envelope from the funeral home with the obituary and contacted that funeral home. The funeral home denied ever providing post-mortem care or funeral-related services to the victim, Sandra, at any time. In addition, no other family members or friends had seen Sandra, Troy's mother, in several months. Accordingly, Burnsville Police opened a missing person file for the victim and continued efforts to locate her. So, officers interviewed several family members, all of whom said they believed that Sandra had died in the last 12 months because Troy had told them that. Troy apparently told several family members that the victim had fallen down the stairs and was in a hospital in June of 2022. When family members asked about visiting Sandra in the hospital, Troy told them she had COVID and couldn't have visitors. Family members also advised the Burnsville police that Troy had sold Sandra's vehicle to a relative, Witness 1, after he said she had died. So, officers interview witness one and they indicated that Troy wanted to get rid of Sandra's car quickly, even offering Sandra's car for free. Witness one, the relative, reported he took possession of the car and sold it to a third party. Police then located the new owner who was still in possession of Sandra's vehicle. The new owner allowed officers to examine the car and an alternative light source gave preliminary indications of the presence of blood in the trunk. That would be so surreal for officers to come up to you and say, hey, can we search your car? It's in relation to a murder investigation, and then they find blood in your trunk. That's insane. So, officers executed a search warrant on Troy's home on July 6th, 2023, this year. So, Sandra has allegedly been deceased for over a year at this point. Physical evidence officers conducted some preliminary testing on the stairs of the home, which gave the indication of the presence of blood, and samples were collected for subsequent testing. Officers also located a mattress and box spring that had a large dark red stains that were swabbed and indicated the presence of blood. Burnsville detectives then met with Troy at the Dakota County Sheriff's Office. He was read his Miranda rights, and he agreed to speak to detectives. And this is where it gets real serious. During the interview, Troy admitted to killing Sandra, his mother, because he had spent all of her money and she was becoming suspicious and wanted to see her finances. This was a very elderly woman. Sandra Matennis was 82 years old when she was murdered and her son was 56. So this was an 82 year old woman that became suspicious of her son how he was dealing with their finances and he allegedly killed her for it. Before killing her, Troy advised he researched online how to kill an elderly person without poison and decided to stab her while she was in bed. He also researched the best spots to stab someone to make their death quick and painless. Troy told detectives that he killed the victim on June 2, 2022, in his Burnsville, Dakota County home by stabbing her in the neck with a large kitchen knife. After she had been dead for a couple of days, Troy dismembered her body and placed her body parts in multiple different large plastic tote bins that he had in his garage. He then drove with the bins in his car from Burnsville toward Appleton, Minnesota, and discarded parts of the victim's body by throwing them in the ditch as he drove. Troy advised that he did this because he did not want to get caught. Troy advised that he had discarded two of the plastic totes behind a dumpster at an abandoned rest stop on Highway 7 towards Wilmar, Minnesota. So, officers drove to the location described by Troy and found a large shipping container resembling a dumpster on private property. Officers spoke with the property owners who related the following facts the property had previously been a rest stop. After they purchased the property, they located two plastic tote bins behind the shipping container, which they had moved to a burn pile. Officers found the tote bins in the burn pile and collected them as evidence. The tote bins are the same type of tote bins officers had located in Troy's garage during the execution of the July 6, 2023 search warrant of his home. So, that's really all we know about Troy Michael Matennis's case so far. There's been a f- dozen documents filed, but it's just been his defense, his public defender asking for evidence that the prosecution needs to turn over, and the judge has changed in his case, and he made a motion for that. I'm not sure why that was granted. He has a new judge. His bond has been set at $2 million, and Troy Matennis's next hearing is scheduled for September 19th, 9 a.m. at the Dakota County Judicial Center in Hastings, Minnesota. Thank you so much for listening and or watching to this episode. Before I go, I want to give a shout out to the new Patreon members. Thank you so much to Riley, Alyssa, Kate R, and Amy P. Y'all rock. If you are listening on YouTube or you're listening on Spotify, you can leave a comment and let me know what cases you want me to cover. I'm thinking about covering a unidentified serial killer next week or potentially the Fortwood wait, what is it? The Fort Worth Missing Trio. It's kind of it's really similar to the Springfield 3 case, which I think is a lot more widely known. Um the Springfield 3 refers to an unsolved missing persons case that began on June 7, 1992, and this is when friends Susie Streeter and Stacy McCall, along with Streeter's mother, Sherry Levitt, went missing from Levitt's home in Springfield, Missouri. So, that happened in June of 1992, but the Fort Worth missing trio occurred decades before that. So, this case involves a 17-year-old girl a 14-year-old girl and a 9-year-old girl going missing in Fort Worth, Texas. They went to the mall to go shopping and then they just disappeared. Never been seen or heard from again. Uh, They've been missing for 48 years. Let me know if you want to hear about that case or recommend another one. So, that's about it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a good day, evening, or night. Goodbye.